And welcome to the Badger Talks podcast, the podcast that shares interviews with experts from the University of Wisconsin-Madison community about their work, programs, and research, and what they're like as people too. I'm your host, Ben Rush. Listening to this podcast gives you a sneak peek of an upcoming longer talk by each guest. Our guest today, Jennifer Van Oss, will be part of a talk called Cats, Dogs, and Cows. Oh my! Climate change and the impacts on pets and livestock on July 12th at noon Central Time virtually. A link to the virtual talk as well as past and upcoming talks is in the show notes. And now, let's dive into the conversation with Jennifer Van Oss. Hey Jennifer, thanks for joining me on the Badger Talks podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. Happy to have you here. Can we get started with your names and pronouns you use, please? My name is Jennifer Vanoss, and my pronouns are she and her. Great. Thank you. And if someone was going to bump into you on the street, what might you look like today? So I guess if I uh, if I had to go by my police report report description, <laughs> I'm an Asian American female, uh, about five and a half feet tall, average build, and because I'm working from home, I am not dressed professionally. I think the pandemic really changed my work uniform, so I'm wearing sweat shorts and a tank top, and my hair is in a braid. It's pretty typical when it's hot, and I have glasses, um, straight long brown hair with bangs. Nice. I am completely with you on the very casual working clothes. Uh, and that's also the beauty of having a medium that's entirely audio. <laughs> no one will know. It's it's nice to be able to work comfortably. I think some people say they do better when they dress up for work, even when we're working from home. And that's not me. Likewise. Likewise. Any identities you'd like to highlight about yourself? Yeah. So as I mentioned, I identify as an Asian American woman. I grew up in the Midwest and I'm happy to call that home again, although I have lived on both coasts of the U.S. as well as in Canada. But I'm, I'm happy to be back in the Midwest. And I'm also a mom of a 1.2 year old and a wife and a scientist, which is what we're kind of here to talk about today. Well, wonderful. Yeah, it seems when I was looking you up, you've been able to travel around quite a bit. But can you also just tell us maybe in uh, two minutes and how you would describe to friends your job on UW-Madison's campus. So my field of study is animal welfare. So if you think about the word welfare, we're asking how well is this animal faring? So we're trying to characterize their quality of life with the context that these are animals under human care. So we want to understand how human practices, such as how we house them, how we handle them, and how we manage them affect what the animals experience. So my job is to understand what affects the animal's welfare and how we can then improve it and ensure that these animals have lives worth living. And I'm wondering if you could go into what species you work with as well. So I primarily work with dairy cattle, both Taurus, Taurus, <laughs> and usually the Holstein breed since they are the most predominant in the U.S. And so I have done some other research on other species, but I focus on dairy cattle now. Nice. I think I saw... Uh... A picture of you in your lab with goats, which I have a special place that was in my just, heart. That was for fun, actually. That was an educational opportunity. <laughs> but yes, Wisconsin is number one in dairy goat production for, um, sorry, dairy, yes, dairy goat production. And, and so that was a fun trip where we went for an educational program and got to visit a farm. But I also love goats. Huh. Um, well, I just got even 
more proud to be a Wisconsinite <laughs> based on the fact. We're also um, number one in dairy sheep production now. So that's another fun fact for you. Whoa. Well, I was also very interested to have you on the show because you are talking about animal welfare. And I think sometimes that might be seen as not necessarily a waste, but maybe a inefficient use of people's times and efforts. But I think you are showing with science uh, that it actually might even help production. I'm curious what you mean by um, a waste of time. Who might Sure, think that? yeah. I think, so as a non-dairy farmer, um, I have worked with cattle a bit and farming in the past. And I think because it's not directly going to increased machinery or feed or ways to cut down in time and effort, I think on the human side of things, that it might be perceived as an inefficiency. But, you know, your, your tagline of uh, giving cows a voice through science, I think is having them lead the way to increased dairy production. Okay, so I, I understand what you're saying now. I have two different answers to that. So the first is sort of an overall framework because I think sometimes um, thinking about dairy production as a business, a lot of business people think about problems in terms of a SWOT analysis or SWOT framework. So S being for strengths, W for weaknesses, O for opportunities, and T for threats. And sometimes animal welfare is perceived as an external threat um, or something that can kind of cause problems for the dairy operation. I know that's not exactly what you're saying in terms of the link to profitability or production. And I've heard that comment before that sometimes it's perceived as this external threat. And my argument to dairy farmers when I'm speaking with them is to reframe their thinking around animal welfare because animal welfare by definition is how their animals are doing. And so everything that they do on the farm in providing care for their animals means that animal welfare is actually inherent to their business. So it would fall under strengths or weaknesses. So ideally, you don't want that to be a weakness on your operation. You want it to be a strength. And so I ask farmers to really just reframe their thinking, think about animal welfare as something inherent to what they do, because they've always been stewards of the animals and caretakers of the animals. And you want to try to maximize your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. And that's how the research that I do comes in, because you want to make sure that you're stronger, right? That you're you're doing the best you can for your animals. And that's where the link to production comes in. So a number of studies have looked at the link between animal welfare and things like milk yield, but there's also other aspects of prof, uh, product sorry, productivity. So for a young animal before they're producing milk, it could be by measuring their growth. Or even for a mature animal, not just how much milk she's producing, but how fertile she is so that she can produce subsequent calves and continue to produce milk. And so these production measures are very important to the dairy operation from the perspective of farm profitability and economics, but animal welfare and profitability aren't always directly linked, which I think is what you're getting at, because there are a lot of practices actually where they are linked. So one area of my research where it's a very clean story is with heat stress. So that's what I'll be talking about actually with my Badger Talks live presentation where dairy cows are very vulnerable to the heat. They're very sensitive to it. And when they become heat stressed, milk production drops and they also suffer from discomfort. And so these are two things that go hand in hand. If we can alleviate heat stress, we can also restore milk production. So there's a very easy story there to convince producers why alleviating the cow's discomfort is also good for the bottom line. And that's not always the case. There are other things where um, it's very important to do practices to improve the quality of life of the animal, but there is no obvious immediate benefit. 
financially. But um, I found that depending on the issue, it isn't necessarily hard to persuade producers that it's the right thing to do because it's so obvious to them as caretakers of the animals that that's their responsibility and it's the ethical thing to do. Sometimes when it's not as clear cut, I ask them to take the long view because consumers today have choices when they go to the grocery store or to a restaurant or whenever they're making these purchasing choices, they don't have to purchase dairy products. They have lots of alternatives. And so if there are consumers who are concerned and unsure if they want to continue consuming dairy products because of these ethical questions, the way to persuade them that dairy is it's possible for dairy to be an ethical business is by making sure to do the right thing for the animal. And so even if it doesn't affect your profitability or level of milk production today, it can ensure this long-term relationship with your consumers and sustainability through that route. Does that make sense? Oh, completely. And I appreciate you uh, adding to my perspective too. I, I didn't even consider growth rates or birthing rates, which would definitely uh, influence an entire herd that you're managing. But actually there was a second thing, which was that you mentioned time savings. And there are actually examples of where improving animal welfare improves the efficiency of the operation. So there's this... Um, there's a couple examples of where you get labor efficiencies by doing things that are better for the animal, because if we think about the animal's perspective, if we're doing things to them that cause fear, it makes them harder to deal with in the future because fear is just a learning response. <laughs> and so if we have people handle cows in a way that understands the cow's natural behavior, um, it means people don't have to work as hard. They're less likely to get injured and it makes the animals easier to move in the future. So actually it saves time and it saves effort. So it makes it better for the animals and better for the people. And then the same thing for certain procedures that have to be done that cause pain. If we use pain control medications, then it makes the animals easier to handle. And so they struggle less. It's easier for the person. It's less painful for the animals. There actually are a lot of win-win stories. And so I think that um, it's a really good conversation to have, but animal welfare isn't something that's like orthogonal to the goals of the dairy operation. It's inherent. When I was researching, you, you do use some interesting methods, I think, to figure out what a cow actually wants to do, um, including maybe weights or barriers. So I'm <laughs> wondering if you can share how you're actually measuring what a cow wants. Yeah. So I'm glad that you asked that and that earlier you brought up my lab's motto, which is giving cows a voice through science. And the reason that's my motto is because I didn't come from an ag background. And so I remember what my perceptions were of animal agriculture before I started doing this type of research. And I think that a lot of people take a very anthropomorphic view thinking, well, if I was a cow, here's what I think I would want to experience, how I would want to be housed or how I would want to be treated. And I think it's really important to formulate research questions that are relevant to the species and use these validated kind of clever techniques to allow the animals to speak for themselves because cows need things that are different from what dogs need and are different from what people need. And so that's why I think it's really important to give the animals a voice so that we understand what's good for their welfare, not what we think as people we would enjoy. So again, heat stress is a really good example of that because cows start to feel hot at lower temperatures than people do. So people will be out sunbathing, cows would rather hide in the shade. And so there are many techniques we can use. Um, and there's two sort of major techniques that kind of go hand in hand. So one is called preference testing. And both of these techniques, I should say, draw kind of from 
human consumer techniques, but we apply them to animals. So preference testing is exactly what it sounds like. You give an animal usually two choices and you see which option they choose more in a testing scenario, or you observe them in their home environments and see which option they spend more time with. And then you can infer what they prefer. And then the other technique that can complement that is called motivation testing. And this, again, draws upon consumer demand theory. So the idea is if something is more important to you, you're willing to pay more for it. So that's the human consumer side. So you can ask people, how much would you be willing to pay for X, Y, or Z? And you can then rank how important something is to them. And the idea is that if something's really essential to you, even as the price increases, you're still willing to pay for it because it's that important. But if something is less important to you, maybe a luxury, as the price increases, you'll say, you know what, I don't want to pay for this anymore. So we've translated that to animals by asking them to perform some kind of task instead of paying with money. So for lab animals, this is often pressing a lever and increasing amount of time. So you increase the price by making them push the lever more and more to get the same reward. For farm animals like cows and even chickens, you can make different tasks, for example, by putting a resource behind a gate and increasing the amount of weight on that gate so that the animal has to use more and more force to access that reward or by having them literally <laughs> navigate some kind of obstacle. So you're making something challenging for them to obtain. And if they'll work hard to obtain it, then you know it's important to them. So you can combine these different techniques to say, okay, does the cow think such and such resource is important and do they prefer it over other resources or over other opportunities to perform certain behaviors. And so these are ways that we can ask the cows to tell us what's important to them and what they prefer and to give them a voice about their welfare. My last question, I really enjoy asking people once, if it's possible for an academic, once you are done with work, what do you like to do as a hobby? Yeah, I've had a variety of hobbies, but um, a little over a year ago, I had my first child. So after work, uh, it's family time. I make sure to completely shut off and I'm in mom mode instead of work mode. And now that the weather is warmer, we've really enjoyed going to the park just around the corner from our house every day after dinner and letting my daughter kind of explore. And it's it's really fun to be able to enjoy this season because in Wisconsin, you know, the season where we can play outside is somewhat limited. I think that um, next winter she'll be older and we can play in the snow. And maybe in the background, there'll be some cows to make it even more picturesque. Yes, eventually she'll meet the cows. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, thank you for being on the Badger Talks podcast. And I look forward to checking out your live talk soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Badger Talks podcast. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And if you want to catch more of Jennifer, check out her talk on July 12th at noon central time. The link to her upcoming talk and talks by other University of Wisconsin-Madison experts is in the show notes. Until next time, be well. The Badger Talks podcast is a creation by UW Connects and Deep Within Data Media. Music composed by Bill Purdy and played by the University of Wisconsin-Madison March Band. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by Deep Within Data Media.